Hello, my name's Eric, and the Old Testament reading is found in Genesis 45, 1 through 7. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all of his, his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land, and for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. The word of the Lord. Hi, my name is Anthony, the New Testament reading found in Hebrews 13, 1 through 3. Keep loving each other like family. Don't neglect to open your homes to guests, because by doing this, some have been hosts to angels without knowing it. Remember prisoners as if you were in prison with them, and people who are mistreated as if you were in their place. The word of the Lord. Hi, my name is Ryan. Uh, please stand for the gospel reading found in Luke 24, 28 to 35. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if they were going further, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it's toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. He vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Do not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened us up to scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. The Gospel of our Lord. You may be seated. Amen. Well, we are in week two of this series, this short series on being given. And this language comes from table language, communion language, blessed, broken, given. And you, hear, you heard it in the gospel passage this morning. We heard it in the gospel text last week. There are these three stories in Luke's gospel where Jesus takes bread, he blesses it, he breaks it, and he gives it. Uh, and it's, it's uh, very likely that Luke is writing it this way to kind of give an echo of how much the table served as a metaphor for the church and how much table imagery shaped the identity of 
the church. And we've said, okay, for all of us at New Life Downtown, this is the way we talk about um, even ourselves. And so Sunday mornings are this place where we rehearse our blessedness. We come in and we take this journey together. We, we worship, we hear the scriptures, we confess our sins, we're reminded of grace, we give God thanks, and then we're sent back out into the world. That's rehearsing our blessedness. And then in meal groups at your tables throughout the week, this is where we live out the brokenness, the sharedness of our lives, where we say, I need you and you need me. And together, Jesus is using my strength to feed you and your strength to feed me. And here we are being broken for one another. But this series is all about this third word, given. The idea of our lives being given individually and collectively for something larger, something greater than ourselves. And so last week was given for the church now, I want to be clear. There are many ways to let your life be given for the sake of this body that are beyond our Sunday teams. You can do that as a meal group leader. You can do that unofficially as you say every week, Lord, who can I reach out to? Who can I have lunch with? Who can I invest in? And it's true that there are many other ways to do this besides that card that we gave you last week of our Sunday teams. But the truth is we need more help on our Sunday teams. And we believe, just by the stories that we hear, that when people join these teams, they begin, as Evan said, to find a richness uh, even in relationship with one another. Plus today, if you'll go and, and meet some of the Sunday team leaders, they're in the hallway, the wing of the building that has air conditioning. So it's just, I mean, I'm just saying, you know, we're not bribing you, but if you want to beat the heat, go over there. Um, this week is about being given for the city. What can we do? What does it mean as a church to be given for the sake of our city, to, to bring about something in the city that is not only flourishing, but something that speaks of Jesus? Now, this, this whole idea of givenness is really, it really flies in the face of the instincts of our age, because everything about our age says, let's keep it close to the vest. Let's play. Let's not take too many risks. I need to be in control of my world. I need to see where all the pieces are, and I will decide. And you see this even as people wrestle with faith, and they say, well, listen, I, I appreciate that I was raised in a Christian home, but I need to decide which faith fits me. And however this, this shows up in our life, we have this deep conviction that we are autonomous selves. We are free-acting individuals that have to be able to choose in order to be authentic. And so I've got to decide. And so there's no such thing as surrendering control. There's no such thing as somebody else giving me, no thank you, I will be in charge of what I do. And the result is we end up with very small lives. We keep everything closed and say, well, I, I want it to be this way. I want a job I can manage. I want relationships I can manipulate. Of course, we don't say we're manipulating them, but we, and we want everything just kind of right here. And this kingdom announcement that Jesus brings challenges that and says, let's break this open. There's something beyond. And so turn with me, if you will. Our text is Luke 24. It was the gospel reading for today, and, and you heard parts of it. This is after the resurrection, except not everyone has seen the risen Christ. And so there's these disciples. It says here in verse 13, that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. 
if you look at this text and you kind of take it with your um, literary eyes, you know, reading this like a good story, you'll, you'll notice something that Luke is doing is he's pointing us toward a posture of these disciples. Throughout this story, you see their eyes are down, their faces down, and it's all a picture of their heart being down. Eventually, they'll say to Jesus, they'll say, are you the only one in this whole city that doesn't know? Are you the only stranger? Are you the only newbie that doesn't get it? In other words, the whole city was troubled. There was something heavy about the tone, the mood of the whole city. And in fact, they say later in, this, in the, a few verses, later, they say, we had hoped that he would be the one to redeem Israel. This setting is of people who are disappointed, people who are disillusioned, people who've had their hopes dashed, people who've had their hearts broken, and people who've had their eyes closed. Jesus draws near, but it says their eyes were kept from recognizing him. We're not told who kept it. We're not told if it was a demonic thing that that kept their eyes from recognizing him. We're not told if it was Jesus that temporarily kept them from recognizing him. We're not told if it was their disappointment that kept them from recognizing him. But somehow here are people whose disappointment is so great that even physically their faces are down. Their eyes are down. And what does Jesus do when he stumbles upon these? He draws near to them. It's interesting, in this story, it says there's two of them, but it only gives the name of one, Cleopas. And, and it's, it's interesting, one of the commentaries says, you know, it's not likely that if there's only two, why just give the name of the one? Was the other so insignificant that they just didn't, you know? And so more likely than not, there actually was more than two. There was probably a group. But these are the ones that Jesus zeroes in on. What I see is a Jesus who begins to focus on a few. What I see is a Jesus who says there's this group of disheartened and disappointed, but Jesus begins to focus on just a few. And then secondly, I think just another observation is that Jesus takes his time with them. You know, some, one version of reading this story is to say Jesus is a prankster who's playing dumb. Oh, no, tell me, what's happened? And Jesus is sort of making light of their pain. Now, I know this can generate a lot of laughs in a sermon, and it's, it's funny to say, Jesus, the, you know, the risen Jesus, the prankster, who is kind of saying, peekaboo, you know. But if you're really a person in pain and disappointment, that's not a comforting picture. I think more likely what I see is a Jesus who takes his time with people in pain. A Jesus who knows where their pain is coming from, but lets them give voice to it. That's really good, isn't it? It's really important. I mean, how many times, even as a parent or as a friend, you know what's causing the pain in, in, in your friend's life and someone else's life, but instead of saying, oh, well, I know why, it's because of da-da-da-da-da, you stop and you say, well, tell me about this. Where is this coming from? And somehow, because they're able to give language to their own grief, you're helping them. And so Jesus says, Jesus says, okay, so, so guys, what is it that has happened? And they begin to say, we had these hopes. These hopes were dashed. And now we're, we're disoriented. We don't know where to go. Jesus focuses on a few. Jesus takes his time. Let's hear it, guys. Tell me about this. 
If I were to think of this text as a picture for our partnership in the city, it actually is a very nice picture of what we're trying to do. You know, oftentimes we we speak of um, need in vague terms. You know, the poor, the lost, the refugee, the... And I know we don't mean to be impersonal when we do this. It's a shorthand way of speaking. There's nothing inherently wrong with that, except that it can make us see problems as mass issues. Do you know what I mean? It can make us think ideologically, oh, this, this problem, this situation, the refugees, the poor, instead of saying the naming the individual. John, Susie, Ken, their story. If we're going to be serious about people who allow Jesus to give us for the sake of the city, we have to be willing to move beyond big picture caricatures of need. We have to move beyond just sort of sweeping generalizations. Oh, you know what those people are like. You know what these are, people are trying to do. You know what's going on at the borders. It's all about, and we do this. We do this because it's safer to distance yourself and talk about it in sweeping language. But Jesus refuses that. Jesus comes near. Jesus focuses on a few and takes his time. And I think this is what we want to be as a church. We want to say, okay, look, there are lots of ways to engage with our city, but we can't do them all. And so let's focus on a few. And then we say, well, well, even in focusing on a few, we don't want to hurriedly do this and be like, okay, we need a great testimony video by next Easter, so what can we do that will give the most sensational results? Very often, if you talk with people who are working with these ministries that are serving the great needs in our city, and you say, okay, tell me, tell me what's the, what's the testimony and they're all, you see it on their faces, they just dread that question. Because they feel this pressure of like, oh, what, I got to give you some kind of bottom line to my shareholders here, you know? Well, we had 67 salvations. Not really, but, you know. And we generate this thing of, I've got to quickly sort of, you know. Instead of saying, you know what, this kind of engagement takes time. You have to have the long view in mind. Having one serve day is not going to all of a sudden flip the switch in the city. But having sustained engagement is what does over time. So I want to tell you about the five ministries that, that New Life as a whole, through our local ministries, has decided we're going we're to focus on these partnerships. One is Mary's Home. Now, Mary's Home is one of the dream centers of Colorado Springs. It's a, a, an apartment for single moms who are in transition with housing. And it's about to open, but there's opportunities to serve everything from prayer and neighborhood block type of walking to cleanup projects around it. There's Queen Palmer Elementary, which is not far away from here, just east of here, where a number of you have been doing the mentoring with a kid. One kid, one hour a week. Raise your hand if you're part of that. Kids Hope mentoring some of you. Yep, right? Queen Palmer. And then we talk about, okay, the Interfaith Hospitality Network, that's, that's one where many churches are involved. We take a week out of the year. And then, as, as Evan alluded to earlier, Springs Rescue Mission. 
Now, next week, the way we're doing this series is the week I talk about it, we'll give you something to take home and think about, pray about, and then the following week, you can find out more or, 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 or um, think about specific engagement. So as you exit the building, you'll get these cards, and it'll tell you all about those ministries and all of that, and that'll, that'll be wonderful and helpful. But there's one specific thing. As we sit here fanning ourselves in Palmer, we've been meeting in this school for almost two years, and... Last week or a couple of weeks ago, Mike and Dottie Stetso said, told us about this great idea of a church that they were visiting that decided to do something to bless the very school that they had been meeting with. And Brooks, Brooke um, decided this week, she, she made some connections with D11, had some conversations, and said, what would it be, how would you respond, would you be able, would you welcome if our church decided to take a half a Saturday and just do some projects around Palmer High School? And they were thrilled because they've been working on boiler rooms and tripping out the fan systems and doing other upgrade things that they haven't been able to focus on some of their normal projects, everything from cleaning out lockers to weeding the landscape or whatever. So here it is. This Saturday, August 2nd, 9 a.m. to noon, just show up. You don't have to sign up for this beforehand. You don't have to register. You don't have to fill out online forms. Just show up. Just show up at 9 on Saturday if you can. And let's get to work. And they'll be ready for a dozen of us, and they'll be ready for a hundred of us. But I think it'll be really cool. Now, little truth in advertising here. It turns out, uh, just bec- we, you know, we planned this just very recently, like this last week. But we'd already planned a vacation, so we won't be here as in my family. <laughs> and I just want to, I just want you know, I feel like I need to be truthful with you. So you're not like, Glenn gave us this great pitch, and where is he? So I would. I really would be there. But there you go. Okay. <laughs> we hear a story like this in Luke 24, and we think, this is great. This is how I want to be. I want to be like Jesus. I want to walk with the, with, the out, with the downcast, with the downtrodden. I want to do this. But I can't help but think that maybe actually in this story, we are less like Jesus and more like the disciples on the road to Emmaus. And maybe we are the ones that are saying, well, I, I would like to. Um, do something to serve, but I mean, do you know what I'm going through right now? Do you know what I'm experiencing? Do you know what I feel? Do you know my time? Do you know my schedule? I mean, yeah. how am I supposed to do this? These disciples, it's really interesting because if you look here, verse 28, it says, So they drew near to the village to which they were going, and he, Jesus, acted as if he were going further. This is really funny. Jesus kind of going like this, you know, just acting. Y'all going to invite me in? But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward the evening, and the day is now far spent. And so he went in to stay with them. There is an amazing parallel between this story and the story we looked at last week, the feeding of the 5,000. It also, in Luke 9, it also says that the day was declining, the day was far spent. Except those disciples said what? Send them away. Here, these disciples say, The day is far spent. Jesus, won't you stay? Actually, they don't even know yet. They're they're still getting the sense, is this Jesus? I can't help but wonder if these these guys had learned something from the feeding of the 5,000. Were they around? Had they heard the stories? Were they trying to live out this radical hospitality of Jesus? Were they trying to say, okay, you know what? It's evening. It's getting late. Remember the story of those other guys who tried to send strangers away? Maybe we should welcome this one in. I mean, I'm not really in the mood. I mean, it's kind of been a bummer of an afternoon. 
We just watched a cruise. I mean, really, you know. And they say, all right, all right, fine, 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 fine. Hey, hey, they're whispering to one another, hey, should we? I mean, what, it's kind of awkward. He's just standing there. Like, I thought he was going to move on. Okay, okay, okay. You ask him. No, you ask him. Well, I don't have any. Fun. Oh, okay. Hey, hey, you, you want to stay? <laughs> this echoes another story. Our Old Testament reading today was about Joseph. And there are many parallels between the Joseph story and the Jesus story. Both Joseph and Jesus are rejected by their own. Both Joseph and Jesus go down into a pit. Both Joseph and Jesus get lifted up from that pit and exalted. And after that lifted, being lifted up, both of them are at a meal with their brothers or their disciples. And Joseph in the Old Testament story does this strange thing where he disguises himself. He keeps them from recognizing who he is. And he waits until he can see that something's different about them, that they care about their youngest brother, Benjamin, that that something has changed in the way that they have learned to take care of one another. And when Joseph sees that they've learned to take care of one another, Joseph reveals his identity. And I can't help but see the parallel of Jesus. You just wonder, is he waiting? Was he waiting to see if these disciples would show him the kind of hospitality he had shown them? And once they did, Jesus revealed himself. See, the story goes on. It says in verse 30, it says, When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. Now listen to this. This is not what guests do. Guests don't come at a table and all of a sudden start blessing the meal. I mean, even we, we're, meals mean something much less than what they did in the first century, but even we don't do that. A guest doesn't come to your home and say, okay, I got it, I'll say grace. You're like, dude, who are you? Like, this is my home, like my food. <laughs> and here's this strange stranger that they invite in, and Jesus says, okay, go, okay, guys, I got this. And he takes the bread and starts blessing it, and they're all like looking at him like, what? what? And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight, and they said to one another, did not our hearts burn Within us, and then all the way at the end, verse 35, how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Jesus is the guest who becomes the host. Jesus is the guest who becomes the host. They invite him in, thinking they're being hospitable. And Jesus says, Well done. Now let me blow your minds, let me take over. And let me do the very thing you were longing for. You see, earlier in this story, the disciples, with, with grief, with pain in their voice, you can almost hear it. They say, some of our women went to the tomb, and they said that they saw, but we did not see. This whole story is a story about sight. And these disciples are saying, all we can see is right here. Some others can see something extraordinary, but we, all we're seeing is this. And Jesus says, okay. As you welcome me in, you're going to begin to see something different. They do this act of hospitality, and Jesus, the guest, becomes the host. Could it be that in offering the hospitality of Jesus to others, we actually begin to see Jesus ourselves? 
Could it be that in offering the hospitality of Jesus to others, something miraculous happens and our own eyes are opened? Think of that. Something that says, okay, this was, I was living in this small-minded, closed universe where everything was about right here, where I could reach and I could control, and something challenged me to step out of it and to let my life be given and to serve in this way, and something happened. I don't know how to explain it, but there was this more to life that I all of a sudden began to see and taste and experience. Think about that. Bobby Miklas, who for many uh, years was the pastor of our local ministries, and Bobby often talks about thinking you are taking Jesus to someone in need and actually finding that you've seen the face of Jesus while there. Thinking that we are so great, I am going to be Jesus to you, and you find out that they have been Jesus to you. And the one that you welcomed gave you a deeper picture of Christ himself. We come to this table each week as a reminder that this kind of life is only possible because it is the life that has been given to us. We come to this table each week to remember that it's only because Jesus died and rose again, welcomed us in to relationship with the Father. It's because of this our lives can be given. Our lives can be spent.